This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 104. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now your host, Kristen Trumpy. We are welcoming back Susanna Hallonen. Hello, Susanna. Hi. <laughs> so I learned from reading your newsletter that you are in the middle of a rebranding. So how do you introduce yourself these days to yeah. people who might not know you? Yeah, that's a good question. One I'm still figuring out, um, but we'll go for it. But in in short, I'm basically known as the happyologist. So I'm a, uh, I, ca- I like to call myself a philosopher, um, a keynote speaker and a writer as well. So I've written two books now. And basically, I'm just on a mission to to make the world a happier place. And my aim is to do that by helping you to kind of live your own truth and find your own path that really makes you come alive and helps you to live um, a fulfilling life. And that's, yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell, I guess. <laughs> okay, yeah, I just thought I'll throw her into an existential crisis to begin with. That's just like, who am I? What am I doing now? What's my future? <laughs> um, the, the only thing that I mean, I don't want to say it surprised me, but like the only thing that maybe wasn't part of that description last time we talked was philosopher. So so let's unpack uh, the relationship between, you know, happiness or positive psychology and philosophy uh, from your perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, because obviously, you know, we met when we did the um, Masters of Science in Applied Positive Psychology, and that's kind of what introduced me to the whole world of I guess, the science of happiness and human performance. And um, I still love the field and I'm still very fond of it. Um, But I felt it didn't give me all the answers, not that anything would or does. Um, But I guess over the last, well, couple of years, really, I've just started to dive more into philosophy and different philosophers and even just, (laughs) I mean, poetry and quotes and things like that from different philosophers that has really kind of struck home. And then that's when I started to realize, ooh, okay, this is maybe something that I need to start incorporating in my work kind of more officially as well. Um, Because personally, you know, I like to bring things to the table to, to my clients or to my work from, you know, the things that I've learned from the most as well. And that started to include philosophy and kind of asking more questions and things like that. Um, just reflecting more and, and, and yeah, just evolving ideas and things like that. And I think that's where the philosopher part and getting in, in involved in philosophy really, really came from. Um, and, and, I, I was really hesitant, to be honest, at the start to kind of start saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a philosopher now because I felt like, well, oh, my God, I can't be a philosopher. You know, you know, I'm not Aristotle or something. Um, and I actually worked through this kind of limiting belief with with my own personal coach. And it was really interesting. And um it was also one of my clients, uh, the School of Life in Amsterdam, and they always introduced me as a philosopher and they always call me as, as a philosopher. Like I've been working for them, I think, two or three years now. And and I and I and it and it really started to grow on me as well. And I'm like, oh, well, if, if they think I'm a philosopher, maybe I am. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So that was a very uh, <laughs> probably unconstructed answer there. But but yeah, hopefully that gives something <laughs> useful. <laughs> 
You know, if you don't mind, I was actually just thinking um, I would be quite happy to to kind of stay with this a little bit and, and kind of look at the intersection between happiness research and maybe psychology as a science and philosophy, because I haven't really um, had an episode on this. And, and I also think, you know, there are a lot of people who get mentioned frequently, but I was just wondering why you're telling, like, is there, I mean, Aristotle, you mentioned him, he gets mentioned in, I think, like, almost every positive psychology article that references a philosopher Aristotle is mentioned. Um, mm. Then right now, uh, thanks to people like Tim Ferriss, the, the Stoicists are kind of um, seeing a little bit of a revival. Um are are these the main sources or like what what who who were you interested is there any particular philosopher or or school of philosophy that you resonate with i think it's it's a really mixed bag to be honest so there isn't um one particular one that i'm really uh like tied to or affixed with it's more I see, you know, some lessons or insights or quotes from one and then some from another. So I'm I'm really kind of open to to a mixed bag and and I'm 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 actually like staying away from saying, "Oh, well this is the era or this is the yeah, this is the kind of um kind of philosophers I'm even focusing on. I'm kind of being just receptive and open to also what's organically coming my way um so for example one one philosopher who's who's also a poet who um i i do love is is hafiz um he's a persian poet and i mean in my final chapter in my book i use basically my favorite quote from him um which which is basically it says ever since happiness heard your name it has been running through the streets trying to find you and it's just like short, succinct phrases and things like that that really kind of make me come alive and just kind of also ground me and and really just make me reflect on things and they just somehow push me to to just stop and and take a moment and I think that's what I'm that's what I've seemed to be craving more of and that's why I think I've been so so much more fascinated with with exploring different philosophers and things like that more and um and yeah and then yeah starting to just explore just questioning things more as well and and it's interesting what you said there as well like you know positive psychology psychology philosophy how do they kind of all meet in together um and and my well my personal viewpoint is that i think everything has 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 a role to play in the world so i'm not the type of person who says well psychology or positive psychology or or even medicine or whatever has all the answers in the world it's like no actually there are some things that we maybe can't even research or can't really understand thoroughly but we can use you know people's ideas or people's concepts and 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 just thoughts and and words and phrases to kind of explore them in in a deeper level and and yeah and i don't believe exactly everything has to be researched obviously i love research and i love everything that's evidence based because it shows it's been effective but at the same time i don't say no to just concepts and ideas that that seem to um yeah grab my attention and then when i you know share them with my clients it seems to help them as well so i'm 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 really basically taking on and evolving into a more holistic approach so exploring yeah, all these different fields and trying to bring them together um, so that 
yeah, to basically help, um, to try and help my, my clients in any way I can. When, um, when we, when we started, um, the masters, we had to read a lot of papers and I remember there was this, uh, train ride with, um, where I confided in, you know, this is just for you, the listeners. No, the listeners actually know who Susie is because she was also here on the podcast to talk about risk. But so anyway, I was talking mm-hmm. to Susie and I just said to her, you know, the weird thing is that, um, a lot of these papers, they contain such great knowledge, but somehow the language just makes me sad. <laughs> and, and, and I yeah. got over it. Uh, I got over it because obviously you have to when you have to read the number of papers that we had to, to get yeah. any work done. <laughs> like you can't be sad every time you do that. But you know what you're what, what you just made me think of is maybe it's not even always about different solutions. Maybe it's also about how we communicate these truths, you know, I, because yeah. I'm, I, I kind of wonder how effective and obviously that's also a reason why the podcast exists, right? So you can have the best knowledge in the world. But if you're if that knowledge is not communicated in a way that kind of speaks to people's hearts, then then all the greatness inside of it kind of gets either dulled or lost. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I totally agree with you on that. I mean, I remember you know, that that whole um, year when we had to just read paper after paper after paper, and I felt every paper just crushed my soul a little bit more. And, and it's not because what I was reading wasn't interesting. I mean, the findings were and things like that. But it's just like you say, the delivery with academic research papers is, is, is a little bit different than just reading a normal book or an article or a blog or something. So, um, which then I think does limit, I think the amount of information that, that we could actually be sharing and, and, and making useful. I mean, I think I read somewhere, I can't remember where it was now that like the average number of times, um, a research paper gets read is two. So it's like, imagine how much information in those papers there actually is. And but two people on this planet are reading each of them. Like, imagine if we could just have beautiful summaries of each one of them, share the, the, the you know, the, the best parts of each. And and then I don't know, I just feel like we'd have access to so much more insight and, and in, in, in an inspirational and, and practical way as well. So we kind of knew, right, well, what do we do with this now as well? Or how do we evolve this further? Right, right. So... I think what you also talked about kind of seems to, it was more between the lines because I don't think you use the word intuition, but maybe Mm. is that one of the things that you might have been missing from the science? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I have a chapter um, on intuition in my my new book as well. And it's, it's definitely something that... Yeah, I mean, something that I've had a very interesting relationship with in in my life as well and kind of, well, realized that it was dormant for a lot of my life because I just have always been a very brain-driven person, very rational and, you know, with three brothers and and a strong father, um, you know, a lot of the male kind of energy and forces and mind power, all that kind of I guess, took over a little bit. And then all the feeling and the intuition, even though those are very strong in my mother, um, but there just wasn't enough force, I guess, for me to kind of learn to trust them and go with them. I think also partly because we don't really discuss them um, too much in in the world. And I think now with, with the movement of 
well-being growing and and positive psychology as well i think all of these different elements are kind of helping us to have more conversations and and talk more about our feelings and and actually talking about things that we necessarily can't really explain like intuition and yeah i'm i'm i mean i'm yeah i'm such a huge fan of it now because you know i've i've had uh, yeah, life-changing experiences that helped me to realize how important intuition is. Um, and now I, I actively kind of journal or do like collages or just like meditate or just take a moment to be um, to help me to kind of connect to my intuition. And I've learned to connect it in a way now that I can actually almost like switch it on and, and really use it to 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 guide me on my path. Um, and equally, I think all of us have have this force of intuition within us it's part of us it's part of being human um and it's 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 just, i find it's a huge shame that we've kind of don't really talk about it any well we don't talk about it or explore it in more depth so um yeah i mean intuition is definitely something that yeah can't really be researched or explored um apart from i guess you could do qualitative research on it which would be really fascinating um but yeah, it's not exactly something that science can necessarily explain, or at least hasn't yet explained, yet we kind of all know it's there and it's all helping us if, if we take the moment to listen to it. How do you feel that that intuition um, moving forward, you know, with all this technology in the world and, you know, the robots are coming and all of that, like, like how do you think about um, intuition in the future? Yeah, it's to be honest, it's it's very scary um, because I think technology actually, um, even though it's in a way designed to connect the world and connect us to each other, it's dangerously disconnecting us from ourselves because we don't take a moment to just stop and breathe and relax. And, you know, we've got these smartphones that are almost sometimes controlling our lives and we're constantly reacting to all the alerts on it like whatsapp or social media or email or whatever and it's 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 really yeah i find it very scary because i feel like it's taking us away from from actually ourselves and like when we have a minute of boredom like we don't know how to be bored anymore and just sit still we're like oh we're in a queue in the supermarket and I'm like right let me just take my phone out and scroll Instagram or something or um, rather than actually having a real conversation with someone like calling them up oh let's just send them a WhatsApp message like all these things it's it's a very dangerous path we're going down on um, obviously it's a path we need to learn to manage because we're not going to go back in time and there are plenty of good reasons to have technology and smartphones and, and everything that comes in that industry I guess um, but at the same time, we also need to learn to, to disconnect from the technology, to learn, to remind ourselves to connect to ourselves. And this is where I think, you know, taking the time to just reflect or journal or go for a walk in, in, in the park or a forest, if you're near one without your phone is, is incredible. And it really helps you to, to reconnect with yourself and, and, and in a way with, with the whole, the war, world and the universe as well. And I think when we are constantly connected and constantly looking at our screens, we we lose that connection to ourselves. So I think um, 
yeah, we, we need to learn to manage it in a, in a better way. Like I have, um, certain rules that I put in place like I don't like well my fiance I I we don't bring any technology into the bedroom we leave our phones iPads everything um, outside the bedroom charge them there we have just a normal alarm clock basically and um, for the first half an hour of the day and the last half an hour of the day I'm not in any technology um, because well I want to start the day in charge of me and connecting to me and at the same time, in the evenings, I want to wind down in a way that technology is not keeping me alert and I need to, like, you know, calm my mind down. And, and technology, we all know that doesn't help to calm our minds down. So those are kind of the different things I do to make sure that I have a better relationship with technology. Um, and I've also switched all my notifications are off, so nothing's pinging me or whatever. I just check it a couple times a day if there's any missed calls, text messages or WhatsApp or whatever. I have designated times I go on social media, um, though, interestingly, I'm going less and less on it as well. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting one for all of us to learn to maneuver. But I think the, the final message would, from me would definitely be just make sure that you make time to, to disconnect technologically so that you can actually connect to, to yourself and your soul. You know, I wonder if all of that technology was actually have the opposite effect, you know, like make all of these things suddenly very, very attractive because because the technology just becomes such a normal part of life that eventually I believe we will be bored of it. Um, I mean, maybe I'm I'm just <laughs> optimistic and hopeful. Uh, and I think, you know, I'm I am equally optimistic and terrified of the future when it comes to those things. But I. I do think there is a possibility that we can kind of see the value of that, you know, and, and I don't know what it has to do with you, but I just feel like I have to tell people this, like a weird confession. So so last um, last Friday was the first truly warm day here in Zurich uh, this year. And I, I live next to this artificial kind of island uh, mm -hmm. because there's an, I mean, it's, it sounds horrible because there's an energy plant here, but you don't really see, not a plant, it's a uh, hydro energy. So you kind of, mm -hmm. so that's why it's kind of created this artificial island and it's, it's actually really beautiful. You know, um, people swim mm. there and stuff and, and, and I walked there. I started reading, reading a little bit of Harry Potter. I fell asleep under a blue sky. I woke up, I turned around. I looked around at the trees and then I saw beaver tracks and we've never had beavers in the city of Zurich um, mm -hmm. for as long as I've been alive. And I got so ridiculously excited <laughs> that I just scooted off trying to find those beavers for about two and a half hours. And afterwards, I kind of walked home with like this weird, wicked, mischievous grin like I had committed some kind of sin against being an adult. <laughs> It was awesome, you know, and I was just like, how many adults have done like anything that's like unplanned like the like like how many like hardly anyone probably, you know, in a week or so. And and I think once people kind of catch on to how awesome that is, um, yeah, the notifications will turn off. Like, I don't know. I'm kind of hopeful about these things. I'm not. I think we kind of have like kids, you know, like when when you're that age, when you're like everybody's drinking and you're like alcohol is the coolest thing. And unless you have some kind of dependency after three or four years, you're like, yeah, OK, it's like nice to have a little bit of wine every once in a while. But it's not something I need to have like every day until I'm drunk. I don't yeah. know. I, I, that's the way I feel about technology. But who knows? 
Yeah, well, hopefully you're right in terms of like people just getting bored of it. And I think it's interesting what you said there as well with your with your story, which is amazing because I think it's also like leaving enough time in our calendars or our busy, hectic <laughs> schedules for nothing. Like just do whatever we feel like doing, like going to the park, reading a book and like, you know, exploring some fever tracks. Like because otherwise we, we need to live some space leave some space into our lives for spontaneity because I think that's where a lot of the magic happens and that's when we also tend to get like our best ideas or insights and yeah and I think that's 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 also another important thing is just just make sure you're leaving enough time to to just yeah just free time basically not not scheduled free time like oh it's my free time so I'm gonna go for a jog but actually time that you plan to just chill out do nothing or see where the kind of wind takes you in a way <laughs> yeah that's a good point um so so the current book happiness is here um i wonder before we start getting into that you before that you wrote a book about passion mm -hmm. um does this how did you find when you were writing it does it somehow relate or compare to your previous work or is it completely its own beast Uh, uh, a bit of both. So my first book, um, Screw Finding Your Passion, was very focused on debunking the myth that you need to find and follow one passion. Um, and instead, you should choose to live your whole life with passion. And obviously, that's what my the research I did um, in my master's. Um, that's what the book is based on. And there are like five basically key principles that help you to unlock this positive passion energy wherever you go. And that's what I share in my first book. Um, so some of the keys from that first book are in my second book because obviously they have a big role to play in your happiness and fulfillment as well. Um, but other than that, my second book is, is, is a bit of a different beast and it's also um, less academically written because I think the first one even though it was it was a book it was very it was easy to read um as a book but it still was quite heavily um on the academically influenced side especially because i wrote it straight after the master so i think i was still in that mindset um so my second book is is a much more like I don't know, like a warm hug in a way, like, oh, come on, come in here, let's have a little chat. Um, all the chapters that I have in there, there's basically 30 short chapters. And the idea is you read a chapter every day and then practice that happiness tip on that day um, so that by the end of the book, you've been practicing happiness, different happiness practices for 30 days. So it's um, it's kind of a I think it's it's slightly like a quicker, easier read. And also you can like dip in and out of the different chapters and the different tips, however you want um, as well. All right. So so before we get into that um, happiness, that was one of my biggest surprises when we started the Masters. Um, I kind of thought, well, everybody's on the same page. Everybody defines it the same and turns out that's not the case at all. So what yeah. kind of definition or, or not necessarily definition in an academic sense, but like what? concept of happiness did you have in mind while you were writing this book yeah so I basically um started on the notion that happiness um is a mix of um hedonic and eudaimonic happiness so there are kind of two sides on on the happiness formula but how each one of us gets hedonic happiness or eudaimonic happiness is completely individual and unique to us um so basically half of the equation the hedonic happiness is all about those short-term 
um, positive bursts. So any type of positive emotion you experience like joy or laughter or delight, surprising, savoring, pleasure, etc. And then on the other side, there's the eudaimonic happiness, which is a more deeper, long lasting and fulfilling type of happiness, um, which is all about living um, life in alignment with who you are, feeling like the things you do are worthwhile, having a sense of meaning, having a sense of purpose. Um, and in the book, I also talk about how sometimes the things that give you eudaimonic happiness are actually don't feel good in the moment. You know, they're very difficult. Um, they can be very difficult or challenging because when you're, for example, faced with um, a new problem or something you haven't dealt with before, you know, you're growing as a person and you're evolving and you're developing. And naturally, all of that kind of fuels eudaimonic happiness because humans love to grow and evolve. But in the moment, it's not like we're super excited and happy in that challenge because we're like, oh, crap, this is hard. How do I get over it? Um, obviously, there are different types of challenges and some are, you know, you can be uh, experience hedonic happiness through them as well. And then there are the others that are more difficult in the moment. But then afterwards, you realize how fulfilling it was to, to go through that journey. So in short, basically, I've, I've written the book with that whole notion of happiness is kind of pleasure plus purpose, but how each one of us seeks that pleasure and, and purpose is, is entirely up to us. Um, and, and I have a, a chapter in the, in the first part of the book exactly on that. So lots of books have been written about happiness. So, so what made you want to engage with this? Was it something you saw in your clients or, or where did this come from? Yeah, well, it's it's basically I wanted to share because my first book was so focused on passion. Um, I really wanted to have a book that focused more on happiness and fulfillment um, with the, with the big picture in mind. And honestly, the idea came for it when uh, I think it was two years ago. I did like a happiness advent calendar in December, um, and people could sign up to it for free. And basically, for you know, 25 days in December, they got. Um, a new happiness tip in their inbox every day and people loved it and they I had received so much positive feedback for it that I realized ooh well maybe I'll just kind of I could write a book with that same idea and that same principle so I just basically changed the 25 days to 30 and obviously changed some of the tips and evolved them um, and all the tips in the book uh, are basically the most the tips that have been also most transformational for me and hence they're the ones that I also tend to um, share with my clients as well and you know they're different like the first part of the book so there are six parts the first part is all about well, what is happiness what is not happiness killing some of the myths around happiness because if we don't actually know what it is and how to achieve it how do we even start um, and then the second part is really connecting to yourself so I have basically five tips in each of these parts and the second part is all about connecting to yourself your truth who you are and kind of learning to celebrate yourself uh, the third part dives into your perspective um, so it's more about exploring your mindset and um, how can you basically change how you think in order to experience life in a more positive way and then I have a part on relationships as well because obviously as humans um, we are social creatures and 
we we need each other not only to survive but to also thrive so I really wanted to make sure I had some tips on that um, and then one of my favorite parts um, the fifth part is actually about your body because I think we often get a little bit too obsessive in our minds um, thinking about well how do we do this how can I rationalize this how can we think about it and we forget about the body and how much it influences our mind and our moods and our happiness so I talk about things you can do with your body that actually influence your happiness and then the final part um, is all about making your happiness last. And that part really has kind of the five most impactful learnings, especially over the kind of last couple of years for me, which, you know, range from learning to let go to making the time to reflect to listening to your intuition um, and just things that I feel like we should just all make a little bit more um, time to do if we really want to turn happiness into something that is really deep and, and, and fulfilling and long lasting. Right. So um, can you talk about an exercise or two that maybe a seasoned podcast listener might be surprised by meaning like not necessarily, you know, three best, uh, three good yeah. things or like <laughs> the things that people know quite a lot, right? They know that meditation is good for you. They know that yoga is good for you. So so are there some exercises that are maybe a bit surprising or just not necessarily even surprising, but not talked a lot about? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I think in the relationship part, um, I actually have a chapter called Declutter, <laughs> which uh, might sound quite controversial, and, and it is a little bit, um, because it talks about how sometimes we try to hang on to relationships that are actually holding us back, or relationship that we've outgrown from, or relationship that are perhaps a little bit toxic you know be it with some of our um, friends or colleagues or romantic relationships or even with some family members so I wanted to explicitly talk about that because I think we all struggle sometimes with having people in our lives that we're not perhaps just getting along with as, as well as um, we'd like to and how there are different strategies you can do to to basically overcome them and so I have um it's basically um, the exercise I have there just starts with a simple question, uh, which is inspired by um, Marie Kondo's tidying methods. I don't know if you've, yes. if you've read her work. Yeah. Yes. And so rather than holding up a thing and saying, you know, does this item give me joy? It's actually saying, does this person give me joy? Because we have a lot of people in our lives and it's important to make sure that they're the right people, that they are the people that are lifting you up, that they're encouraging you, they're inspiring you, that they're kind of your biggest cheerleaders. And I think it's really important for us to take the time to reflect on that a bit more and, and, and just be a little bit more precious with our time and how we spend our energy and, and who we basically spend our, our energy with. Um, and when it, obviously I'm, when it with this question you know does this person give me joy if the answer is yes it's obvious so great keep them in your life make sure you're spending enough time with them you're investing in that relationship if the answer is no then it's about it's 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 gonna get a little bit trickier but 
you know, I talk about three different strategies that you can do. So for example, you can take just a breather from them. So maybe you just spend less face-on-face interactions with them or you just detach from that relationship for a little bit just to see if maybe there was just a little bit of something that um, made the relationship a little bit toxic at that point in time. And sometimes just a breather and just giving it some space and time actually fixes it. The other option is that... um, you, 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 there are people who don't give you joy, but you still have to basically spend time with them. Um, you know, beat your colleagues, or maybe it is some family members. Um, um, so then it's about asking yourself, well, how can you actually make interactions with them more joyful? You know, what can you do to inject more joy into those relationships? Could you somehow focus on the positives or could you somehow inject more positivity into that relationship by giving them more compliments, et cetera, et cetera. So there's all these different things you can try to do as well to turn relationships into a bit more positive ones. Because obviously, as we know, moods and contagious are Um, moods and emotions are contagious so you could easily start to inject some positivity into a room and into these people and see if it catches on and if that makes that basically into a a better relationship Um, now of course there is then the you know final thing if 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 really none of it is working and and if if this person isn't giving you joy and if you can't seem to turn it around, you have to be a little bit selfish and and protect yourself and and try and limit those interactions or go into those interactions with a really strong resiliency bubble so that you don't let their negativity or their comments or their judgments basically um, zap you because nobody nobody has the right to do that to you. So you have to make sure that you are in a position that you can really manage that in, in the best positive way. Um, the, not the previous interview, but the one I did before very recently also talked about this aspect. Um, and I think it's worth actually spending a bit more time on because I, I feel very, very torn about this because on the one hand, I think, um, I think obviously it makes sense to, to kind of look at it and be like, Hey, let's hang out more with people who are good for us and Mm -hmm. let's hang out less with people who are not. But considering, I don't know, there is something about the transactional aspect of it that doesn't sit well with me. And I'm... I don't know, like, I I think sometimes people have something to teach you and it's not nice or something, you know, or we have to learn to develop boundaries. And of course, sometimes Mm. it makes sense to let go. But even, you know, people don't talk about a lot, like, how do you let go of someone well? How do you, I don't know, I know it's two completely different questions and rolled into Mm. one, but you can just go in whatever direction that calls you more. Can you maybe riff a bit on that? Because I, I, I think it's we have to be very careful, the, have a good balance, basically, between being like, yes, we have to be selfish. But sometimes also, I mean, you know, kind of like some people who, you know, like they might be in a relationship. And then when the moment it gets intimate, it's like, bye bye. It's not fun anymore. I don't feel the butterflies. And I know that that's not what you're talking about, because I know. No. You, but yeah, but, but I think <laughs> we should kind of you know, get into that a bit more because I'm not sure a lot of intelligence exists. Well, it exists, but it's maybe shared around this topic. Yeah, well, this is where I think um, 
intuition comes in a lot as well because you know in your heart whether this person is good for you or not and intuitively you know whether you should be investing in this relationship or not and I totally agree that sometimes it is a matter of somebody basically teaching you a lesson and and staying there long enough so those lessons um, happen Um, but at the same time it's also knowing right well I've known this person for a long time now it just seems to be getting worse and what is it what is it that's going on here? And is is this somebody that I do need to let go of? And I think when it comes to letting go of somebody, it's it's never easy. Um, there's definitely never, you know, this is how you should do it and that's the end of it. It takes time. It takes a lot of effort and, and it can be very, very difficult. Um, but I think the thing to remind yourself of um and like you say about, you know, the mind and the intelligence around it, but it's actually going back to the feeling part and thinking, right, well, in the end, you know, does this person make me feel good or not? And if the answer is no, then it's, I mean, I I just don't see why there should be room for that person in your life because that by you spending time with that person, you're limiting your time with the people who do make you feel good, who do support you and encourage you. Um, and maybe by letting them go, you're making room for someone else who's actually waiting around the corner to enter your life. Um, and it also might be that this person that you choose to then let go of now, it might be that they spring back later on in your life and, and then your paths seem more aligned and maybe you get along better again or whatever, whatever. And and that's absolutely fine as well. It's I think it's just about learning to kind of trust um nature a little bit and the flow of things because there's there's enough of us on this planet to find the people that you know really lift you higher um and like and like you said I'm not talking about people who run away when things get intimate or challenging or difficult it's it's more if you are if you know you have toxic relationships in your life and and you just know that they've been draining you for years and then it's time for you to basically start changing them or doing something about them because otherwise they're going to drain you for the rest of your life you know another aspect that just occurred to me while you were talking um is the fact that a lot of the relationships we have um kind of especially the ones we established early on in life, they kind of depend on randomness. You know, there are these Mm. studies where people are like, you become friends with the people at work. Well, if you're lucky enough to have people to become friends with, or at least colleagues or better acquainted with the people who Mm. sit closer to you. And same in class, right? So most people start talking to the person who sits next to them. So I think once we kind of understand, wait a minute, a lot of this was based also on some kind of randomness. Now, of course, not everything, um, but, but, once kind of like seeing like wait a minute do I want these things like I happen to have been born into this family I happen to have sat there um should they have that amount of power in our life and I think that's um an aspect just to think about that might make it a little bit easier as well Mm, yeah and I mean you know when we bring families into the discussion it's an it's an even more complex (laughs) Um, situation obviously because you know we build these unique relationships with all our family members and you know with our siblings our parents um, you know maybe later down the down later down the line you know with your kids grandkids etc and it's 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 yeah it's definitely 
makes the letting go part a lot more difficult but then it's just about learning to protect yourself as well a bit more and and I agree like with with families I mean it depends on the family and the dynamics and I guess how yeah what how you've been brought up culturally as well um but you tend to kind of revert back to you know your childhood self as well whenever you tend to interact with your family so you know with your brothers or like for example I have three brothers and whenever all of us are home for Christmas there's you know there's always a bit of like sibling rivalry and bickering and things like that which you know we would never do to anyone else as adults (laughs) but it's just something you do um with your family um but but when it comes to actually having you know family members that maybe are kind of preventing you not preventing you well they I mean they could be preventing you from going after you want or just being openly judgmental about it or things like that I think that's when it's even more important for you to really surround yourself with with cheerleaders and and the people who are who accept you for who you are and love you for who you are and 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 encourage you to go after what you want um because naturally we all seek approval and acceptance from our parents um pretty much most of our lives even as adults but we need to ensure that that doesn't affect how we live our lives if it's very different to you know what your parents are basically used to um yeah and and also with um with the other thing is that that one thing is also that if we take the time sometimes to actually build different relationships um we might not be as dependent on you know the closest family or this particular Mm. person you've been friends with forever to give you that approval that they're somehow not willing or not able to give you um that's maybe also another thing right to to just kind of make sure we have if we have a kind of a, a selection not just one or two people but maybe a couple of people who have fulfill like different needs right it's not just one thing that we need right it's not just approval we need different things and if we have different people Mm. for that we're kind of it's like it sounds horrible but but like I'll just say it because I I also work in a bank and people never always forget about that it's like diversifying Mm. (laughs) like 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 you put all of your eggs in one basket if if you're if you know if your mom doesn't approve of you as much as you want to like find some people who do and 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 then you can maybe stand taller when you see your mom next or something all right now yeah um, absolutely sorry 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 go on yeah, no, no, I was just saying, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And and it's exactly that just having, you know, these different cheerleaders in your life. Like even for me, you know, I have very, I do a lot of different things. I have my, you know, people from the positive psychology world. I have people who are the creatives and the writers. I have got, you know, with my love for horses and competing in dressage I've got my horsey people and you know these like I go to each one of them with different discussions and we talk about different things but we're all kind of encouraging us each other in in our own ways um but it's and it's not about going to one person and saying right you're responsible for all of my whatever sense of approval or encouragement that 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 I need or something (laughs) and it's also I think learning to um well, learning to be your own cheerleader as well. And I know that's probably one of the biggest challenges we have. Um, but I think surrounding ourselves with those cheerleaders will also teach us to be a little bit kinder and, and, and more appreciative of, of ourselves as well. 
Yes, now screeching U-turn, but it just, um, I just have to ask you because I can't think of anyone better to ask. Screeching yeah. U-turn, just mentally prepare yourself. Finland <laughs> won the happiness um, world score yes. or whatever. <laughs> and you are Finnish as well, among other things. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> so any, and you're a happyologist. <laughs> so, so come on, talk us through that and, and then, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, no. Yeah, no, it's it's wonderful. I think I, I, I'm not sure it might be one of the Finland's always been like in the top five, ten, I think. Um, but I'm not sure it's been like officially first. No, so I hasn't. think, um, yeah, so we're we're very proud. <laughs> um, and I think um, when it comes to why that that is the case, um, I mean, we were talking about this a little bit before we started doing the interview is actually one of the main things is is that whole element of work-life balance. You know, Finns know that they work, whatever, nine to five, nine to six, and then they go and spend time with their family or their friends or their external hobbies. They they love nature. I mean, I mean, we're we're a country with so many forests and so many lakes and so much coast coastal line and the the sea. So we love nature. We, you know, we're always in it. All of us have been camping, and most of our summer holidays, we're always going to a cottage in the middle of nowhere in the woods with a little sauna by the lake. Um, so we just we know how to interact with nature. We know how to stay close to it. Um, we know how to move. I think we exercise a lot. I mean, as elite athletes, we're not very good in the Olympics. So I don't know. Well, there's some kind of something that goes off there, but maybe we just like moving naturally um, rather than going um, overly ambitious all the way. Um, though that is my own ambition, but that's different. <laughs> um, and yeah, and I think uh, of obviously that Finland has a very good standard of living. You know, we have one of the strongest education systems in the world. Um, kids start um, school a lot later than in most countries, which I think is very important because when you're in an early age, you need to play. You don't need to start having pressure at four or five to learn to do this or that or homework or whatever. Um, you know, in Finland, we don't give homework for a very long time. And, you know, all these standardized tests and stuff, we start very late on. Like, so it's it's a very different education system and, and one that seems to work. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I think we just have the, the balance right. Um, and then, of course, we've also got um, sisu. Sisu is basically a, a Finnish word that kind of mixes determination with grit, with resilience, with courage, with persistence, um, and it's kind of all all in one. Um, and again, I have a I have a chapter on sisu in my book, and it, we we basically just we I don't know we have some kind of inner resilience in us as well and I think that's the only way we survive as a country because we are very cold in the winter and very very dark in the winter as well so we we have to have sisu if we're going to get through it um so it's just about kind of knowing that right well we've got a challenge but we know you know we just have to push through it and we just get on with it rather than kind of whine about it um and I think that's that's another thing that makes um makes us quite strong mentally in a way which I think then helps us um to not let things kind of get to us in the same way all right cool what a nice summary of different different things I like the nature aspect of it especially yeah um, yeah so so is there anything we haven't covered yet that you would like to mention 
No, no. I mean, I think no. It's been it's been a really interesting discussion. So I've really um, enjoyed it. So thank you for that. I like I like um, always going with the flow and seeing where where the chat goes. Yeah, sure. No, absolutely. So people can find your book where. So yes, my book Happiness is Here is um, on sale now on Amazon, um, and obviously they can also find me on happyologist.co.uk, which is my website, and I have a blog, and I also have a newsletter, a free newsletter you can sign up to if you want email updates and some exclusive offers and some of my online courses and things. Um, and of course, I also do keynote talks for organizations. Um, And yeah, and oh yeah, and if you're a social media person, uh, uh, you can just find me as at the Happyologist, basically on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Cool, good. All right, so that's it. Um, thanks very much, Susanna. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt. <laughs>